get into the, the third and final part of the harvest cycles. So just agree with me in prayer. So Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for coming upon me and speaking through me. Everything needs to be said. I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us that are going to be listening to this, watching this. Lord, that we give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, just kind of get locked into what you're saying. I thank you for everything accomplished and through this time that your will to be done. For here and answering the prayers over it, that your Holy Spirit uh, will just blow upon it. The seed of the word will go out and accomplish that which you sent it for to do all over, wherever it gets, through the internet, literally around the world. I thank you, Lord, for a Holy Spirit even now moving upon us that we're good soil. That seed will land in that good soil, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. So we thank you for watering the seed and will take root in us and we will never be the same. Lord, I thank you for this, there being an anointing on this to convict all of us and deal with us and get us ready. We embrace the ministry of the Holy Spirit who has come to convict the world of sin in regard to righteousness. Though we need it in our lives. We thank you for everything accomplished in it through this time. And your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight's going to be interesting. We're going to look at the third part, and I'm going to talk about a mystery. Everybody say mystery. All right, so as we're going through this, we looked at the harvest cycles. I don't want to repeat too much, but there's three major harvest cycles. The barley is at Passover, the wheat at Pentecost, and then the, like the grapes, olives and nuts and all that is in the fall feast at Tabernacles. And let's focus on the grapes there. But the three major feasts, and they're connected to um, the harvest because God wanted Israel to understand that he was their provider. If it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have the harvest. They wouldn't have their food. And that's why the Lord was so angry at Baal worship because Baal specifically was a Canaanite god that was seen for bringing the rain and causing the harvest to come in if you worshipped him. And so he was like a replacement of God and it very, very much offended the Lord that they worship Baal. So with that in mind, we're going to look at something a little bit different, a little bit different angle. But I think that this is going to help make sense because last week, I don't know if I did a good enough job of really bringing clarity. So tonight, I want there to be clarity. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, and this is talking about the rapture. And it says this, Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Okay, that's what we're going to look at tonight, a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. So meaning that we will not all sleep means that not all of us are going to die before the rapture. Some of us are going to be alive when the catching away takes place. But we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So that's a blink. You're not going to have time to, to do some deep repentance. This is going to be a quick thing. And the, the rapture, the catching away was not intended for every single person that just professes Christianity. No, it is a reward for those that are overcomers. It is a reward for those that live a true, sincere life before God. 
They live righteous, but also they're walking with him, which we'll get into that more later. But in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For this perishable body that we have must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. So did you know that those that are in Christ, this is how it works. It may be a little deep for maybe some younger believers, but when you're born again, your spirit is made alive. And then the life of God begins to move into your soul area, which is your mind being renewed, your emotions, your personality. The fruit of the spirit begins to be evident in your life. And eventually, that salvation will work its way into your physical body because in the end, you're going to, be, you're going to shed this body and be given a glorified body, okay? And that glorified body will not age. It will be, uh, uh, you know, it'll be just as Christ's body was when he raised from the dead. It's also the way God made Adam. It was never intended for your body to get sick, weak, and tired, and age, and die. So God's going to shed that old mortality off of us and give us a glorified body in the end. But it says this in uh, verse 54 again, but when this perishable will have put on imperishable and this mortal put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written in the scriptures, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. But he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Not all will sleep, but we will all be changed. So I want you to know this. In, the, in a moment when the rapture happens, the dead will rise first, and then those of us alive that remain will be changed in the blink of an eye, okay? So I'm going to try to bring all this together. There's two different angles. The first angle is this, the mystery of the first fruit. So let me do a good job of clarifying that this week. There's the barley, the wheat, and the grape harvest, three different harvest cycles, okay? The first fruits of the barley, the first fruits of that rapture, that resurrection of the dead was this. Jesus was raised from the dead, and when he raised from the dead, there were actually others that came to life with him and walked and were seen. That was the first fruits of that barley harvest, if you will. And then when the rapture happens, everyone that's died in Christ will be given a glorified body. Those that are alive and remain will also be given a glorified body, and that will be the fullness of that barley harvest. So Jesus was the first fruits. And then the rapture is the rest of it, okay? Then it goes into the wheat. The wheat has to do with the tribulation time. And I'll explain this a little bit more as we go. But it's interesting to me that the parables Jesus taught, he didn't say the barley and the tares. He always would say things like the wheat and the tares. Now that's interesting. Because I believe that the barley harvest is symbolic of those. If you look at the at that time frame with Passover, purging the yeast out. Do you remember that, guys? Purging the yeast out, okay? That has to do with getting the sin out of your life and the sin out of your home, okay? So the barley harvest is a gentle harvest. 
and they would take like a pitchfork called a winnowing fork and toss it up and the wind would blow over that and it would separate the chaff from the barley. And so it was like, it was symbolic of this. The barley represents those that willingly yield to the Holy Spirit and let the conviction of the Holy Spirit come and blow out of our lives whatever he wants to. We're, we're quick to repent. We're quick to let God do a work in us. And we're willing to purge the yeast out of our lives and our homes. When that comes, that is the barley harvest that is like a gentle harvest. It's a harvest that represents the remnant bride of Christ. And it's going to be those that are ready when the rapture happens to be caught up. Okay? Like it's tossed up, caught up. But then you move into a totally different harvest of wheat. This has to do with tribulation saints. Isn't this interesting to see the symbolism here? So the tribulation saints, wheat has like an outer shell around it that's hard. These are people that have hardened their hearts. They're not responding to the Holy Spirit. There's a pride. There's a stubbornness. Maybe unforgiveness, kind of a hard heart, okay? And that hard heart is not yielding to what God wants to do in them. And so they're the ones that are not going to make the rapture. They're the ones that are going to be in the tribulation. So the first fruits of the wheat harvest is the 144,000. Then it's going to be the rest of them that, are, that die in Christ through the tribulation time. So there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be ready at the rapture at all. And they're going to be stuck here to endure the tribulation time. And they're going to have to most likely give their life as a martyr. So the wheat, just like the barley's tossed up and separated, it's like a gentle move of the wind. That's not the wheat harvest. The wheat has to be crushed. And there was a, a sled that people would stand on and an animal pull it over the wheat and it would break that outer husk. And then you could separate the wheat from the chaff, but it had to be crushed. And that's symbolic of the crushing, the, the pressure of the persecution that's going to take place during that time of the tribulation. It's going to be a terrible time. Jesus said, if those days were not cut short, no flesh would survive and it will be uh, worse than any other time in the history of the earth. Now, so the tribulation saints, it's interesting that Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares. So let me get back to that. So the barley harvest is yielding to the Holy Spirit, but the wheat is, okay, let me put it this way. The bride of Christ versus the body of Christ. I've always felt personally that there's a big difference between the two. The bride of Christ, do you remember when God told Abraham to look up and look at the stars? Stars are heavenly. And he said, that's going to be like your descendants. And then he said, also like the sand on the seashore, the sand is earthly. I personally view that, there's probably more than one way you can see that, but I personally view that also as representing the bride of Christ versus the body of Christ. You remember the reference to the body. You think about how Adam was formed what? Out of the dirt, the earth. His physical body was formed out of the earth. And this is just the way I see it. But I believe that there's a huge group of people all over the world that call themselves Christians and maybe go to church. And they, um, 
you know, whether or not they really know the Lord, whether or not they really live the life and all that, that only God knows. That's like the weed and the tear aspect of it. But in that greater body of Christ around the world, there's a remnant bride of people that truly know the Lord. They have a relationship with him. They talk to him. He talks to them. They're, they're living a righteous life before God, and you can see it on them. I mean, they really walk intimately with the Lord, and that's like a heavenly people. These are people filled with the Spirit. They have extra oil in their life. Their garments are without spot or blemish. This is symbolic to me of the barley harvest, okay? But then you have a greater body of Christ. Everybody say body. That's earthly. And when you look at them, these are people, they may go to church and they may call themselves a Christian, but their life is not such that they really live a pure, holy life. You know, they know who the Lord is, but they don't really know the Lord. I'll never forget when Steve Hill and I spent time together, he told me, he said, so what has God been speaking to you lately? He wanted to know if I had a relationship. And so I asked that question to think about that. Do you have a relationship? See, the bride has a relationship. The wheat, those that, that don't have a relationship, they may be a part of the greater body. But see, there's a group of people in the body of Christ that they may go to church and they may look good, but sprinkled in among them is a lot of tares among the wheat, a lot of goat among the sheep. And so there's kind of this mixture. And in that you have that their their hearts are not really tender. And again, it's earthly. It's like there's a worldliness about them. Is this making sense tonight? And these are those that are unfortunately not going to be ready when the Lord comes to catch away his bride. The Lord's coming as a thief in the night. I don't have time to go through the whole Jewish wedding that I have so many times in ancient times, but it's to catch away a bride. But there's a larger group of people out there that are not going to be ready. And so now let's shift to the tribulation time. At Shavuot, at Pentecost, the priest would hold up two loaves that were leavened. And it represents the Jew and the Gentile, and there's leaven in both of them. And it was waved. And so this is representing the tribulation time where there's going to be 144,000 Jews that are going to get saved and they're going to be evangelists, but they're going to be martyred. But then you also have the Gentiles, as I, I said last week, there's going to be a great revival after the rapture. You understand that, right? Is there's going to be all these people that were a part of the body of Christ that are going to realize that they missed the coming of the Lord. And the tares among the wheat, they're just going to go take the mark and they're going to go to hell. That They're not the Lord's. But there's some that are going to realize they had, they had every opportunity to get things right, but they never really got right. And now judgment day has come, and they've been separated from the bride is with the Lord at the marriage supper, but that remaining body, if you will, that didn't get everything right, they're here to endure the tribulation time. And so the first fruits is 144,000. The rest of them are the tribulation saints. And you see them in the book of Revelation being placed under the altar and given white robes and told to wait patiently for the rest of their brethren. But you don't see a reference of them specifically being at the marriage supper. The, this is just the way I see it. But the marriage supper has already begun 
and the bride is there. Those that were ready are with the Lord. Others are being gathered in gradually through the tribulation time into heaven. And they're making heaven, but they're tribulation saints. This isn't too deep tonight. Is everybody following me okay? All right. So you have the barley, then you have the wheat. The wheat is the Jew and the Gentile. And then finally you have the grape harvest. The grapes have to do with those that survive the tribulation time. There's going to be something around two-thirds of the population that's going to die. There's going to be a, a very small percentage of humanity that's actually going to survive the tribulation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Zechariah that only one-third of the Jews will actually survive the tribulation. And the only reason they do is because God supernaturally protects them. Otherwise, they would die as well. So this is the group of people. Those of you that have gone through end-time prophecy with me, you know what I'm talking about. The Antichrist sets himself in the temple, demands Israel to worship him as God, worship his idol. They won't do it, so he unleashes his military. The military slaughters two-thirds of them. One-third of them escapes to Petra, probably there, and they're protected. But that, listen, that right there is the, that one-third of the Jews is the first fruits of the grape harvest because when jesus comes physically down to the mount of olives and his feet touch the mount of olives it says he's going to send his angels to go get the elect the very first ones that's going to be brought to him are the jews that have been protected they're going to be gathered to him they're going to look on him whom they've pierced they're going to mourn and they're going to repent and they're going to put their faith in him and on that day this is going to be amazing on that day, all of Israel will be saved in a day. Then, Paul said it will be like life from, de from death. Because when it happens in Israel, then it's going to be like a shockwave or like an explosion that's going to roll out over the world that the curse under Adam is broken. And life is going to release throughout the earth and the earth is going to become like the Garden of Eden. And then the first fruits was the Jews gathered. Is everybody following me? I hope I'm not losing anybody tonight because I know it's a little bit deeper. But that first fruits are the Jews gathered to Jesus. But what's the rest of that harvest is the sheep nations. The Lord's going to gather unto him the goat and sheep nations. He's going to separate them. The goat nations go to hell. But the sheep nations will be able to be with him for the thousand year reign. That's going to be, isn't that interesting to see that every harvest cycle has a first fruits and then a greater harvest. Jesus is the first fruits of those raised from the dead and then the rest of us at the rapture. The 144,000 is the first fruits of the tribulation saints then the rest that die in the tribulation. The third of the Jews is the first fruits of the grape harvest and then the sheep nations is the rest. And so God has all of this in its order. You remember the scripture I read last week, everyone in their order. There's an order about this. All right, so now look at it from a, a totally different angle. Here's the mystery of the harvest cycles. Now this is a different angle, okay? So just follow me. But you see the same pattern though. Barley, wheat, grape harvest. Look at this. Whenever Israel was commanded to bring their first fruits, where? To the temple, to the sons of Aaron. 
Then they were to gather at the end of the harvest their tithe. Their tithe would go to the local Levite. And then they were told to leave the corners of their fields for the poor. You remember me talking about those three things, right? This is really interesting. Is that number one, the first fruits of the field is the rapture. Then the tithe of the earth. Do you remember seeing in Revelation the sickle of the Lord going across the earth? then the rest of the tithe are those that are tribulation saints brought in later. Then the gleaning of the corners of the fields are going to be those remaining Jews and surviving, if there is any surviving Christians that are gathered unto him. Isn't that awesome? So you see the same pattern again. The first fruits is the rapture. Then the greater harvest is those that die in the tribulation. And then the gleaning of the fields are those that survived it. So let me talk just briefly about the rapture because I want to be ready for the rapture. And I just encourage everybody to look this way and listen to what I'm saying tonight because I want this just to kind of go out and convict all of us, those that listen to us by podcast, you follow us online in different ways. But from what I was told even a few weeks ago, I had someone come up to me and tell me, I really appreciate your sermon because many places won't preach like that anymore. Which, of course, is a sign of the end times. As the Bible says that there would come a day that people would not endure sound doctrine, but they would gather unto themselves teachers that just tell them what they want to hear. We're living in that day. And that's produced Laodicea, a church by and large out there that's selfish, that doesn't care about the Lord. And that's kind of where we're at, although revival's coming, okay. But with that said, he said, I appreciate you preaching like you did. Listen, a lot of people want to hear the truth. Not everybody, but a lot of people want to hear it, don't they? And I'm telling everybody in the sound of my voice that we need to make sure that everything is right between us and the Lord. We need to make sure that we have really truly repented of our sins and got everything right with the Lord because the Bible talks about the kindness and the sternness of God. God is very kind and very loving and very merciful if we come to him and if we repent. But this same God is the same one. Jesus said, you better fear the one who will kill your body and then throw you into hell. He also is the same one that will do that very thing right there. You need to consider both the kindness and the sternness of God. When the Lord comes, he's not playing around. It's either going to be people that really, truly got things right. And that warm season of grace that you're in right now, where the Holy Spirit is moving on you and God's trying to deal with your heart, that warm season of grace will end one day. And it will be turned to a chilling season of God's judgment and wrath that's going to come. The Bible's very clear about it. And I pray that that fear of God fall upon every person listening to this to make sure that everything is right between us and the Lord. You know, I've seen people down through the years that kind of have a cavalier attitude of, well, I'll just, you know, I'll get right one day. It's not like that. The rapture is going to happen in the blink of an eye. You're not going to have time to get right. Either you were right or you weren't. So, like I said, the the rapture isn't there for everybody. The rapture is there for that remnant bride, the stars, the heavenly ones, those that really knew the Lord, those that lived a holy life, 
those that spent time with him and got filled with extra oil, those people will be caught away to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right. Dr. Cho is one of those I really respect his teaching. A powerful man of prayer. He knew the, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He saw great miracles in his ministry. He's went home to be with the Lord, but he was also an incredible Bible teacher. So if you want to learn about end time prophecy and you really don't know where to begin, he wrote a book called The Apocalyptic Prophecy. And it sound, that name sounds like it'd be a complicated book, but it's not. It is it's written in layman's terms, super easy to understand. A teenager could read it and understand it easily. But he explains the book of Daniel and Revelation. But listen to what he said in that book. He said this, Regrettably, even though the Bible makes a clear distinction between the two comings of Christ, some people are mistaken in the interpreting of what will happen when they teach that the church will also go through the tribulation. They not only hurt themselves, but also lead others astray. Great teachers like him and Derek Prince and many others that I really respect They understood the difference between the catching away of the bride and the second coming of the Lord to Israel. There's a big difference. The catching away is a suddenly, like a thief in the night, but the coming of the Lord to the earth is going to be all eyes will see him. He comes to the nation of Israel to sit on the throne of David and reign for a thousand years. It's two completely different comings. And it's too, it, the description of the two are so different that there's no way that it's the same thing. You understand? It's an impossibility. You can't come as a thief in the night and also come that all eyes see you. You can't come and meet in the air, but also your feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives and split it in half. There are two completely different comings, okay? In the same way, when Jesus raised from the dead, there was some kind of an ascension that we don't really know anything about because he told, was it Martha or Mary? He told them, don't touch me because I haven't gone yet to the Father. And then later, he appears to the disciples and says, touch me. Put your finger in my palm here and in my side. And there was two different ascensions because the first one was kind of secretive. I think it was like a day of atonement type of thing. And then the, the second one was all I saw him leave. Does this make sense? The first one was in secret, but the second one, everybody there saw him float up. And then they, the angel told those that were present, he'll come back in the same way on the Mount of Olives. So it's, it's two different coming, two different ascensions, two different comings. So the ancient witnesses to this And we're going to pray for people in a moment. I believe God's going to really begin to move in this place. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. But I know for me personally, in the 90s revivals, I'd been around Pentecost and I'd been around, those those that grew up around Pentecost know what I'm talking about. You're around tongues and there'd be some healings and different things. But during the 90s revivals, I had never experienced the power of God like that. Now I remember getting touched really deeply But the Holy Spirit began to move in my life so deep that there was something in me that was drawing me into prayer and in the Word of God. It was a deep move of the Spirit in me. And y'all need that in your life. Please hear me tonight because if I can get anything across to people, it's this. You can know the Word like the Pharisees knew the Word inside and out and still miss the coming of the Lord like the Pharisees did. You don't just need to know the Word 
you need to know the Holy Spirit. You need to know the power of God. That was Jesus' great rebuke to the Sadducees. He said, you don't know the power of God and you don't even know the word. They were just religious. So Enoch is the first one. I'm going to go quickly. The ancient witnesses to a rapture. Enoch walked with God for hundreds of years, but he walked with him. He had a relationship with the Lord and God snatched him away. And he lived in a very wicked generation of the Nephilim. Noah is the second witness. Noah also lived in a very wicked generation. But Noah built that ark. And listen to what I'm saying. I want everybody to catch this symbolism. When the wrath of God began to come down on the earth, Noah and his family floated up above the wrath. Then when the wrath of God subsided, Noah and his family came back onto the earth. It's a picture and type of the rapture. When God's wrath is coming down, the true people of God, the remnant bride, are going to be caught up with Him. Then when the, when the wrath of God subsides, we're going to come with Him on horses. I mean, like horses. We're going to come with Him on horses, and we're going to be physically with Him on the earth. So there's a catching up like the ark, and then a coming back down with the Lord. Okay. The third picture in type was Elijah. Again, living in a very wicked generation with a strong Jezebel spirit. And he was caught away. But Elijah, what marked Elijah's life? Fire, revival, fire, power, but also he knew the Lord. This is what concerns me. I hope that the fear of God comes on people listening to this. I hope that people stop listening to this and for days it's haunting them. Because I want them to consider what I'm saying. Elijah knew when he stood on that cliff and there was the earthquake and there was the fire and there was the great wind. That was one thing. But then when the voice of the Lord whispered, he covered his head and he heard the Lord. How many know the Lord's voice for real? You know him. You have a relationship with him. See, Elijah knew the Lord. Those that are going to be caught away are those that really know the Lord. And then the fourth witness was Lot. He was living in a wicked place, in a wicked generation of Sodom. And the Bible says in Peter that he was grieved by all the wickedness around him. How many of you can honestly say it grieves you? The sexual perversions, seeing the Satan worship and the occult, and seeing all this violence and all the, uh, the abortions and all the things going on. Just like Lot, you're in this world but around you you're grieved by what's going on well whenever it was time judgment was coming god's wrath was going to come down before the wrath of god i mean right before there was a catching away a lot and his daughters fled his family fled where they go they went up to a mountain and went into a cave it was a picture and type of the lord catching away and here's an interesting thing about the word that is translated rapture. It's actually the Greek word harpazo. And harpazo means this. It means a snatching away with force. And it's a swift thing. And so one guy asked somebody at New Greek and asked him, he was from Greece, said, well, how would you describe the word harpazo? And he said, well, he said, if I was walking with my son 
and we were on a sidewalk and a car came and started swerving toward him by accident, maybe lost control. And my son was in danger and I reached down and snatched him violently out of the way of danger. He said, that's harpazo. That's what it means. The Lord is going to pull us out of harm's way because it's surely coming. And so Lot was taken out and then once he was gone, once the righteous were gone, the wrath of God came down and brought great destruction. And I'll give you one more, and this is probably one of the most uh, amazing ones if you think about it, Mount Sinai. I may remember reading about Mount Sinai when Moses brought the children of Israel to the mountain and God came down to the top of the mountain, not all the way down to the earth, but kind of hovering up in the, the atmosphere. And this fire was on the top of that mountain. And there was a shofar blast and there was like a quaking. And the people trembled with fear. And they told Moses, why don't you go up there and talk to him? We'll just stay back here and you let us know what he says. You know, they were scared of God that day. But God came down, but it was a picture and type of meeting in the air because Moses also took some of the elders up with him. Okay? And the Bible says this. If you've never read it, you're going to think, yeah, right, but go read it. It says that they went up the mountain and that they saw God on a throne, and they sat there and ate and drank, and God didn't kill them. He allowed it. I believe it was a Christophany. It was a pre-incarnate Christ on a throne. But anyway, so here's what I want to show you. Just like these other examples of the rapture, Sinai is also a picture and type of a rapture because God came down like in the air, and a remnant of people went up and ate and drank in his presence. Did y'all catch that? They ate and drank like at the marriage supper in his presence. But here's, here's some symbolism. Number one, the church consists of a kingdom of priests. Israel was a priestly nation. The 24 elders assembled around the throne. Well, in the same way, the leaders, Moses and the elders of Israel went up to meet with the Lord and ate and drank in his presence. Number three, we must cleanse ourselves to be ready. A bride without spot or blemish. And, it, and Israel had three days where God told them to fast and pray and consecrate themselves. They had to water immerse. That's interesting. And they had to put off any garments or whatever. They just had to consecrate themselves, wash their garments, purify themselves, because God was going to come down among them, okay? And then the Lord will appear on the third day. There's a third day principle that's seen a lot in Scripture. From Adam to Abraham is day one. From Abraham to Christ, day two. From Christ to now, day three. And the Lord's coming on the end of the third day. Also, the Lord will return in the clouds. First Thessalonians 4.17 Moses and the leaders went up into the cloud. That's interesting. And then the Lord came down descending from heaven, but his feet did not go all the way down to the earth. It was like above up there at the top of that mountain on top of Sinai. In the same way, the Lord's catching away the rapture is going to be a meeting in the air. The next one is the Lord will descend with a shofar blast. So here in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a lot of shofar blasting on the Feast of Trumpets, okay? 
And God descended on Sinai, it says, with a shofar blast. That grew louder and louder and louder. And then the last one is the saints will be caught up. And it says here we see Moses and the elders went up to meet with the Lord. So it's a picture and type. The encounter that God's people had at Sinai is a picture and type of the rapture. And so let me just give you this one more thing. The two comings of Christ will with two completely different descriptions. In one coming, he is a thief in the night and the meeting is in the air. In the second coming, all, all eyes will see him and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. Okay, He said that coming will be like a lightning that will be seen from the east and west. It's going to be a flash of light that everyone will see. So I leave you with this thought. There's a difference between the body and the bride. Do you really know the Lord or are you just religious? How many times does Steve Hill say stuff like that at Brownsville? I mean, I heard that so many times. Steve would say things like this. You really can go to hell sitting in a church pew. You could drop dead in church and still go to hell. Church doesn't save you. You could go to hell with a communion wafer in your mouth. You could go to hell with baptismal waters dripping from you. These things are not going to save you. Being religious and knowing about the Lord, that's not going to get you through the pearly gates. What's going to get you into heaven is that you're born again and you've repented of your sins. That you really know the Lord. And I'm concerned many times because in the church world, they've gotten away from that type of preaching in a lot of places. But people need to hear it. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are not going to make the rapture. There's a lot of people that, I'll tell you right now, in many places, it may be here tonight. If there was a bomb that went off and killed everybody here, not everybody would be going up. That's a scary thought. In many churches, I guarantee you on a Sunday morning, if a bomb went off and everybody dropped dead, not everybody is going to go up to be with the Lord. There's a lot of people in that place that are not really the Lord's people. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said this, many, not a few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never really knew you. You practiced lawlessness. You lived in sin. His complaint was that they never really knew him. They were just religious. They called him Lord, but they didn't know him. And they lived in unrepentant sin. And so I want people to really think about that because I care about you and I want you to be in heaven. I know I know that's where I'm going. I mean, I've spent time saying, Lord, if there's anything in me, forgive me, change me, do what you got to do. And God's had to put me through a process. I'm going to tell you, number one is that we come to know him through a new birth. Okay, it's a born-again experience, supernatural. And let me say about the new birth, it is not just saying a little prayer. Did you know that? You can say a little prayer and not be born again. A born-again experience is where the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you'll never be the same. There's something inside of you that has changed. God has given you a new heart. And that's the problem with some people because they hang around the church and they're around things and they're religious and they know the lingo, they can quote scripture, but they don't have a new heart. And therefore, they don't live for the Lord. They don't live a righteous life. 
So I'm going to give just a moment. Could you come up, please, on the keyboard, turn it way down, just play Lord have mercy. But I want us to pray, and I want people that are listening to this, I want you to stop where you're at for a moment, and I want you to pray where you're at. I want you to really think about what I'm saying. I'm only saying all this because I care about people, and I don't want you to end up in hell one day thinking that you're saved. That's the one thing I believe nobody's going to be able to say about me is that, well, Pastor Scott never told me the truth. There's not going to be too many people going to say that about me. And or they'll say, well, I never knew the difference. I went to Pastor Scott's church, and I never knew that I wasn't saved. Well, there's not going to be too many people saying that either because I want us to really, truly examine ourselves the apostle paul said this in corinthians second corinthians examine yourself and make sure that you're in the faith so i'm going to pray for you but i want you to close your eyes and bow your head i want you to really get serious with god tonight because it doesn't matter right now what anybody else thinks listen this is a personal thing when the rapture comes jesus said that there would be two in a field one taken another left okay that you can be right next to somebody that's ready and you not be ready this is between you and the lord and lord i pray tonight as we pray i thank you for the holy spirit moving upon us we agree together my wife and i bind anything of the enemy out over the airwaves out over this podcast out over facebook youtube wherever this is going in the name of jesus i take authority and i bind whatever is trying to hinder people 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God this age has blinded the minds. I bind the enemy that's trying to blind people's minds and deceive them. I bind it now. I break the enemy's power off them. I command Satan to back off of them and release them right now in Jesus' name. And we command the enemy will back off. And Lord, I thank you for clearing that off people. And even now that the Holy Spirit move upon them. And I want people to begin to pray to the Lord. It to yourself, even in this place, and those that are watching or listening, make sure things are right with you and God. When I was growing up, I knew about the Lord. My parents were Christians. I, I went to church, but I didn't know the Lord. If I would have died in that condition, I would have went straight to hell. I was not saved. And then in 95, God got a hold of my life and transformed me, and I needed to be transformed. And God had begun a process of cleaning my life out. And so, Lord, I thank you by your Holy Spirit even now that you would fall upon us with conviction. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, counsel and might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. Lord, let the fear of God fall upon us. Let there be a conviction of your spirit. Lord, let this stay with us until we repent. Lord, like in past revivals, don't back off of us. Lord, push into our hearts, convict us, and change us. Lord, take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. But if you're serious tonight, I want you to pray something like this. Jesus, I confess my sin. I repent. Change me. I want to be born again. I turn from my sin. I give you my life. I look to you and look to Jesus on the cross tonight. He's your salvation. He's your source. This church couldn't save you for nothing, but Jesus can and he will if you look to him. It's the cross. Look to the cross. Look to Christ on the cross. It was his beatings, his piercings, his blood that was shed that is your source of salvation. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
Lord, release it tonight. Lord, open people up unto salvation. Let there be a new birth. Let there be a new heart. Let there be an imputed righteousness in people. Lord, that all of a sudden something has shifted in them. And so everybody that that is serious with God tonight, everybody, Christian or non-Christian, everybody that wants to be serious, I want you to say this, Jesus, I thank you that you died for my sins and you raised from the dead. I confess my sin. You are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I give you my life and I thank you tonight for a new birth, for your Holy Spirit coming into me and giving me a new heart that I'll love the things of God and I'll hate what's evil. I'll have a heart to live for God. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving intense tonight. Let there be a breakthrough. Lord, I'm believing you for a revival to come. Lord, that's going to fall upon the lost in a far greater way than what we've seen in past revivals, what we've read about. Lord, that you're going to come with healing in your wings, inner healing, physical healings. You're going to come to set people free from whatever the devil's had in their life. And Lord, I thank you for for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lord, refreshing empowerment. We need it. Lord, make us a bride without spot or blemish. Lord, fill us with your extra oil. Let us be ready to meet you in the air. In Jesus' name, do a work in us. All right. Listen, we're going to pray for people tonight. I feel the Holy Spirit beginning to stir in this place. Whatever you need tonight, get prayer. If you need healing, if you need a breakthrough, if you've been struggling with something in your life, you've been struggling with a sin or something you know that you've prayed about, I'm going to pray for you tonight. You need to be set free from something. If you just need a fresh touch, you've been in a dry place, we're going to pray for you. I really want to pray for the intercessors too because I want the intercessors to get in the spirit and really pray. And Lord, I thank you tonight also that these intercessors, that you come upon them with your burden and really pray through them in the spirit. Lord, over the needs of the people. Lord, over what we're believing for in this fast sheet, but also praying through them tonight for those that need a breakthrough tonight in this place, here, tonight. Lord, let there be breakthroughs in Jesus' name.